Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Pilate has been arrested, tried, and he has appealed to Rome. Had he not asked to be sent to Rome for trial, he might have very well been set free. But the charges against him were, were very difficult to prove, and he hadn't really done anything wrong. But he did appeal to Rome, and so he's been sentenced to be sent to Rome, and he has been, has been put in the charge of a Roman centurion, a Roman soldier, whose responsibility it is to deliver him to the court in Rome. So the soldier takes him down to the Mediterranean shore and finds the ship that is going that direction, and they book passage, and and are on the Mediterranean Sea. The Mediterranean Sea, from one end to the other, is about 3,000 miles long. To Rome, it's somewhere around 1,500 miles of actual water that they're going to have to cross. The Mediterranean Sea is a large body of water. Uh, very much like the ocean itself would be, it's very prone to severe storms. We have a lot of ships military ships in the Mediterranean right today. And I'm going to talk about that particular uh, episode and why we have ships there and what that means in January and February when we talk about the second coming of the Lord. It's going to have some meaning at that point in time. But it's on the Mediterranean that Paul is on ship and they run into storms and they're about to be shipwrecked. And should have stayed in a port over winter where they were, but the soldier that Paul was given to was insistent upon going on and wintering in another port that had better accommodations further on on one of the islands. And so he did not follow Paul's advice because Paul advised him that they better stay put because it was, it was going to be difficult to the owners of the ship and to all that was on it and to the people that were on it if they, if they actually left the port. But the uh, centurion found another ship and, and got on board, and, and they run into an extremely difficult, stormy period of time, 14 weeks of unceasing storm on the Mediterranean. They were about to sink. They find uh, by uh, doing their sounding that they were getting closer to shore, but they didn't know where it was. It was in the middle of the night, and they finally anchored their boat. And several of the uh, sailors attempted during the night to put down a life raft and run for their life. And Paul says to his guard, If these men leave the ship, there's not going to be any safety for anybody. They must stay on board. So the soldiers reached out with their long knives and cut the ropes of the lifeboats and let them fall into the sea. And so nobody had any way of escape. Everybody was kept on board. As a consequence, uh, and we'll find some things in the scripture I read, they finally were saved. They make it to a port. 
There they spent the winter. It was here when Paul got off the ship that he attempted to make a fire with uh, some driftwood, and out of the fire came a snake that bit him on the hand, and he shook it off, and it didn't do him any damage, and, and that story. But I want us to think in terms of the episode on board the ship in the middle of the storm and how Paul handled the situation. Even though he shouldn't be handling anything, he's a, he's a prisoner. But even though he's a prisoner, he's, in, he's really in charge of the ship. And they follow him and do what he says, take, take his advice. He's in the limelight, in the spotlight. All minds and hearts are focused on Paul in this particular episode. So, verse 21. After long abstinence, Paul had not, uh, he hadn't said anything for a long period of time. Silent. And after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them. Now remember, we're in the middle of a two-week period of storm. He stands forth in the midst and says, Sirs, ye should have hearkened unto me, and not have loosed from Crete, and to have gained this harm and loss. Now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. The ship will be lost. All men will be saved. By the way, the story concludes that they did uh, hit uh, uh, shallow ground, the ship was uh, stuck in the mud, and the back of the ship was totally wiped off with the storm. And it sank. They all had to jump overboard and swim for shore. That's, that's the part of the story. We're not going to be reading that part, but that's part of it. The ship was lost. Verse 23. But there stood by me this night. That's why he was silent for a long period of time. He was in conversation with God. See that? There stood by me this night an angel of God, of whom I am, I belong to God, of whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Don't forget that phrase. We're going to come back to it. God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Verse 25, And wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for... I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit, meaning however, we must be cast upon a certain island, but when the fourteenth night was come, and as we were driven up and down in Adria, that's the name of the little sea that they were in, a part of the Mediterranean, about midnight the shipmen deemed that they drew nearer to some country and sounded and found it 20 fathoms, that's 120 feet. And when they had gone a little further, they sounded again and found it to be 15 fathoms, that's 90 feet. That's the depth of the sea. They're getting into shallow water. Then fearing lest uh, ye should have fallen upon, we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the dead. Well, let's, let's stop there. For three. You know, it's easy for us to be Christian here tonight. It was easy this morning. It's been fairly easy all day for me to be right, think right, do right, and probably for you. 
It hasn't been very difficult to be uh, godly, to be spiritual. Uh, I don't know how you began your day, but I began it with prayer and Bible reading and study and meditation and planning and preparation for Sunday school class and for preaching. I read uh, several passages of Scripture besides what I'm presenting tonight or this morning. Uh, we sang here tonight. It was, it was easy today to feel good. Last Sunday night we had a, a marvelous service and we all went out of here feeling good. We feel secure. We are probably at ease. We're somewhat comfortable. And this is good that we can be this way. We've prayed. We have done all kinds of things today that uh, make us feel good. And we know that the Lord is near us. But tomorrow's coming. Tomorrow morning, we're going to begin to rub elbows with people who didn't have a Sunday experience like we had. When I go to work, always the same question will surface, how was your weekend? As each person asks the other how things work. And we'll have all kinds of answers, and you go down the street to the restaurants, to your place of work, wherever you go, and you start talking about the weekend. Some will talk about this tremendous party that they had. Some will talk about distresses. There might be somebody who will talk about what happened in church. But for the most part, church or God will not get into the conversation. And here you are alone in a group of people who want to talk about their weekend in terms of all of the secular things they did. And probably you're the only one that wants to talk about your mountaintop experience, your being in church, what you sang, uh, what the Sunday school lesson was about, what the preacher preached about, and those things. You're going to be the only one. And suddenly, you feel like you're all alone on a wild sea in a ship full of unsaved people. Nobody cares one whit about what happened in church. Nobody is interested in hearing you talk about Christ or how good God is. What will be your response and mine when we get into that situation? They will probably know that we went to church because our testimony will be evident. It certainly ought to be evident. There ought to be no question but that everybody about us knows that we were in church today. It ought to be so plain that there would be, never be a question. It becomes very common for everybody to know that I preached today and nobody 
Nobody in the secular world asked me what I preached about. I just don't get that question from non-Christian people. Probably nobody will ask me how many were in church or if anybody was saved until tragedy strikes. If somebody comes into our office tomorrow morning who has had a tragedy this weekend, you can bet they're going to find their way to my office. If I go across the street to, which I almost always do, to the drugstore to sit down to have a cup of coffee about 10 o'clock tomorrow morning, if I have time to do so, and some of the people there in that coffee shop have had tragedy, they're going to sit down by me. Or if it's the girls behind the counter, they're going to wait on me. They're going to start talking about spiritual things. What do I think? What advice would I give? Because they're in the middle of a sea and the ship is about to sink. And I'm the only Christian on board. And so what happens? The spotlight is turned upon me and upon you. To give some kind of answer Assurance, security, they expect us to step forth in their midst and say, be of good cheer, because I believe God, and God has said thus and so. Their ears will perk up and they'll begin to listen, because they don't have any place to go for any kind of assurance, and don't want any. Don't need it until they're in a corner and don't know how to get out. Then the Christian is in the spotlight and is expected to have all the answers. They don't really know us too well or they wouldn't expect all the answers. Because we have our frailties and weaknesses as well. But they, I'm referring to the non-Christian out here in the world, does have a concept that a Christian has more answers than they have, knows something that they don't know, and think that we are capable of explaining it to them. They have a right to expect that from us. At least to some degree, we ought to be able to talk to them and advise them and counsel them in the matters of God's word and what he has to say. But before we start doing that advising and counseling, there's something that we're going to have to do that is, we're going to have had to have had, first of all, a face-to-face -face meeting with our Lord, like Paul had that night before he stood forth. Now, some of the times when we are faced with that difficult situation of trying to guide somebody in their, in their problems, 
we feel insecure, it's because we haven't settled in our own mind what we really think about God and how he will lead us. We have our own insecurities. We're not really sure who we are or who we serve or to whom we belong or what faith we really have. Had there been any uncertainty in Paul on board that ship, those men wouldn't have listened to him. When they went out there to let down that lifeboat and get on the, the, the sea and row away and leave the soldiers with their prisoners and others on board, they wouldn't have listened when Paul stood up and said, if those men leave, there's no security for anybody. They heard what Paul said, and not a man left that ship because they knew that Paul was speaking because he had been in conversation with God for an extended period of time immediately before he made the statement. The scripture says they noted that he'd been absent from them. He'd been silent. He's over somewhere in a corner talking to God, and then when he steps out and they confront him with the problem, He's able to deal with it. We need to know who we are. And that's one of the problems in counseling is to get people to recognize really who they are. Really what their situation is. Who do they serve? Are you, am I, really a servant of the Almighty God? not. If we are, then when the spotlight comes on us and we're put in a difficult situation, we can stand there firmly and, and convincingly that we have a faith that is unswerving. You people can swerve all you want, but I'm going to stand firm on what God has said. That was Paul's general statement. It ought to be ours. We're not standing on sand. We stand on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And we need to know that we're standing on it. We need to know that comes what may. We might be swayed a little bit. We might be discouraged. But when it's all said and done, we shall not be moved. We won't be. Because we know in whom we have believed and know that regardless of what happens, he is our God and our Savior and he surely has told us something we can pass on to other people. The thing that God told Paul during this night is, Paul, I have given you, and I will talk about that in a minute, all of these people on board, they're your responsibility. requirements of a good counselor is that he knows himself before he starts counseling somebody he doesn't know. I've learned that the hard way and there are many times in, in my counseling that 
I have to admit that I'm not very secure in this area. And my insecurity comes through and I don't give good counsel, good advice, good leadership sometimes because I am not sure enough myself of where I stand. This is our weakness. We need to become stronger, all of us, as we begin to guide and direct people that we give good counsel. You know, that's one of the problems that we face with, with uh, the ministry today is that preachers are being sued for malpractice. You sue doctors, you sue lawyers, now you sue preachers. And there, there are sums of money that are being collected from churches and from, from preachers themselves because of, of perhaps uh, inappropriate or poor advice in counseling sessions. I don't know if you know it or not, but this church and myself are insured with our insurance policy. There's a $500,000 policy on me which protects you in the event that I would get sued for improper counseling. Did you know that? Well, that's, our, that's a part of our insurance policy. Uh, because that, that can and does, and does happen in this modern day time. A lot of people have quit counseling because of it until policies come along that, that include that thing. But here Paul is standing without benefit of insurance, and he's counseling these people His conclusion is, in his own mind, first of all, he's saying all of my rights, all of my thoughts, all that I am is nothing. I belong fully and completely to the Lord God. I belong to him. And there is no priority in my life with the exception of serving God. Now, most of us could not say that. We have other priorities that take over the priority of serving God. We serve our families or ourselves or our employers far better than we serve our God. But Paul was not of this nature. He was one who served God first and foremost. And God said to this man, Paul, all these on board, I have given them to you. Now, first of all, that, uh, we, we glide over that statement. But I want you to notice the seriousness of it. We might say that the Lord is saying, because of you, Paul, nobody on board will be lost in this storm. But I don't really believe that's all that he's saying. I believe the Lord is saying, Lord, uh, Paul, I am placing them in your care. Your witness and your testimony will save or lose this ship. The responsibility for the people about us at work, at home, at play, in and out of the church is largely in the hands of us who are Christian. We cannot simply shrug it off and say that it's somebody else's job. 
If we fail, when we stand before the judgment seat of our Lord to give an account of the lives we have lived, how many times are we going to see a mark against us because somebody was lost whose responsibility was ours to see that they were witness to? And we didn't do it. They were in our ship. We were the only Christian in the bunch. God says, your salvation is in your hands. You witness. Paul did not look at that group of people on board that ship as just a group of people. He saw them all as individuals. As a matter of fact, he knew exactly how many were on board. 276. Find that over in verse 37. 276. He saw them all as people doomed for hell, and the only thing that was going to keep them out of hell was his testimony. That's all. What a tremendous burden that is. That's the way Jesus looked at Jerusalem on the day of the triumphal entry when he came around the little bend of the road and looked down from the knoll there on the Mount of Olives and looked over Jerusalem and he wept over them and said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you as a hen to gather her brood? She wouldn't. How many times do we as Christians, look out over our neighborhoods, our county, our friends, and really have enough concern for them to lament over them like Jesus did, or to be so keenly aware of them as Paul was, and know that they've been given into our charge. We're responsible. Their salvation is in our hands. I think I have become fairly well equipped by the Lord to, to know what goes on in a person's life by, by reading them. I can read the most of you fairly well. Some of you I have a little difficulty with. Some of you I can read pretty well. And some of you read me terribly well. I wish you didn't. You just know about me because you have been instructed of the Lord to see beyond the surface and know by how I respond what some of my concerns and problems are and needs are. That's a God-given talent. I, I think the Lord has given me that, that I can oftentimes know, by I call the sixth sense if you want, that there is a need beneath the surface that must be met. And I believe that every Christian must, must work at the task of being capable at 
looking at a body of people and not seeing a crowd, but seeing individuals. Single people. If I am on the street, as I was yesterday during the Christmas parade, I always make a habit of looking at single people. I don't see a mass. I saw individuals. And it runs through my mind over and over again. I wonder about that person. Every once in a while, I went down the street looking for somebody yesterday because I drove down the street once and I saw this person standing on the street. And I think I said to Betty, I've got somebody I need to talk to. I went looking for that person. I didn't find that person. But I knew that we needed to have a conversation because he was in need of a discussion. I'd had a discussion with him once before on the street. The responsibility for the welfare of others is awesome. And we cannot shrug it off. My responsibility for you as a congregation is extremely burdensome. And it should be. But yours or your own whatever group is equally as burdensome. It might only be one person. It might be two or more. But God has given into your care and to my care some people that we are to counsel, we are to guide, we are to encourage, we are to support. And for those who are lost, we are to give them the gospel. To fail in that is to utterly fail to the point that the ship may be lost with all on board if we, the person in the limelight, don't fulfill our responsibility. <coughs> Such as Paul did. Elijah was a person who did a tremendous thing on Mount Carmel. Had a tremendous discussion with 400 prophets of Baal and won and ordered them executed and then Jezebel sent him word that she was going to kill him, do the same thing to him that he'd done to the prophets and he ran and hid. And he started having self-pity. And he began to say, Lord, I'm the only righteous person there is available. There's nobody else but me. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. Becomes the cry of many Christian people. And they began to act like Elijah when he was extremely down and refused now to accept the responsibility placed upon him. And he was having self-pity, thinking, I'm sure that the only one left that even loves you, Lord, and there's nothing I can do about the lives of anybody else. But Paul had that experience, but he came back with this statement, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. There is no I can't in God's vocabulary. It is always I can. Not I can in my own power. 
Paul could not in his own power. Elijah could not in his own power. I can through Christ that gives me the strength. God said to Elijah, take heart, you're not alone. God showed Elijah through a vision that there were 7,000 righteous people in Israel that had never bowed the knee to Baal. So when we start saying, I seem to be the only one that has any concern, the Lord will say, now look, don't you be so foolish as to think you're the only Christian in the bunch. There are lots of them around. One of the encouraging things that comes to me is that I have learned that in this church congregation there is person after person after person after person who loves and serves God first and foremost and will not bow to oppression. Paul witnessed. They were all saved. They got off shore. Paul finally made his way to Rome where he was put on trial because God said, you're going to be my witness for Rome. We may go through very difficult times, but that's only God's way of toughening us up for the times that we'll witness in even more difficult times. Do you know who you are? Do you know whose you are? If you do, then stand firm. The light's going to be on you. Because you and I are on a sinking ship. And we probably are the only Christian there. And when it gets tough, every eye is going to turn and look at us. And say, tell us about how to be saved. We've got to be ready with the answer. And we'll be ready if, like Paul, we've spent some quiet time alone. We can come back and say affirm with, with assurance and very firmly, do not be afraid because I believe God. Then people will listen and will know that God has spoken. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.